the Forged and Unbroken podcast. Where, uh, just hit us with some of the facts outside the firehouse. Like, you have your own road named after you. (laughs) Tell us about it. Yeah. Um, I'm from Gettysburg, PA. One of those PA guys that... Finds her way across the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, in uh, the horse and buggy. And uh, we have a farm there that I spend, grew up at and spent, I live there now and spend a lot of time there. So that's how I got, you know, that was most of my childhood besides that and youth sports, yeah. volunteer firehouses that led to paramedic school that led to Howard County. Yeah. So Multi-generation farming operation too, right? Yep. Grandparents were there when I was a kid, uh, dairy farm and... My earliest memories are there and uh, probably had a lot to do with the type of individual I am now, which, uh, you know, I was doing whatever grandpa and dad were doing, picking rocks and throwing hay bales. And then when grandma was inside doing cross stitch and knitting, we were doing that too. (laughs) Right. uh, That's, that's what a lot of the early stuff looked like. One of the most interesting men in the world. (laughs) Man of many talents. That's where it came from. (laughs) Right. Yeah, grunt work is like, uh, it's not even grunt work for you. That's just what it is. I feel like. It's so funny. um, When you were one of the pioneers in the CrossFit in my world and brought it to the firehouse and all that. And originally, I didn't um, pay much attention to it. And then I kind of always kidded around in my head about it. It was like, what? crossfits what everybody else calls work um, <laughs> and it, they are very similar but um i've grown to love that conditioning yeah. and strength as well so yeah. i i have a love for it yeah i um when i graduated the academy um man 17 years ago we came out to st firehouse together you were my mentor barely i think <laughs> we learned a lot no, from each other we did we did it was a it was a um it was the beginning of like an awesome like foundation. I know for me, yeah. And we already had some craziness in our first year. I know for me, where we were first assigned, and it was just funny how throughout our careers, our careers and friendships kind of passed and yeah. intermingled, and we found our way back at uh, seven together. I think about that a lot. Yeah. The way that start that started, and then you know we didn't really see each other or spend a lot of time together for ten years, and yeah. then all of a sudden we were back there picking up where we left off and that was great yeah that's funny how things work out like that yeah it really is and then when we both found our way back to seven just having the yeah picking back up where we left off and then just being able to get back on the wagon together and then we just had an awesome relationship which is the shift in general like we were just we're vibing really well it's very special it's a very special place it's a good thing um but fast forward a little bit, not the night of Woodscape, what were you riding? <laughs> uh, 71 Charlie, behind mm. you. Yeah. Um, it was Janie's birthday. I remember uh, making the conscious thing about that morning to have him ride the line for his birthday. Yeah. So uh, that's how that went down. <laughs> and I ended up in the C seat and... Uh, yeah. Little tidbit in uh, wearing the S7 R2 BA specifically. I, something that sticks out in my mind. It wasn't the Charlie BA. It was a reserve. Yeah, that I was wearing that night. So when I see that, 
I always think about that <clears throat> a little bit. Yeah. But that's the one I was wearing. I was right. a lieutenant on 71 that night. Yep. <clears throat> so, um, and I'm sure we'll do a, like a more in-depth review of the line of duty that we were involved with. And there are some presentations that are out on YouTube and maybe we can leave and link out to those. And that can be a conversation for another day. But we're going to talk about the, just what came after um, Woodscape <clears throat> and the decisions that were made, the emotions that we went through. And the goal, I think, for a lot of us is, yeah, sure, there's going to be some, maybe some decompression and healing, but I think it's also hopefully some others can live through our experience and maybe prepare themselves, God forbid, if they're ever in a similar situation. Like, there are going to be some feelings and emotions that you go through. You have to make decisions. You're going to have to have some togetherness. You're, gonna, you're definitely going to experience hardship. <clears throat> and maybe if you can live a little bit through our lens, um, hopefully we'll prepare you a little bit better for an event that you may have to go through because I know we've learned from other people as well. And I think that helped us with the connection. I think we've managed pretty well, all things considered. I remember, um, in all the NIOSH reviews that we did as part of our weekly training stuff, um, I had never really considered what it was like for the people left behind and, Mm. uh, what they might've been feeling or going through. And then when I started experiencing that, um, it took me really by surprise. So I'm really, you know, for a long time I thought about um, the need to speak out about it and prepare people, give people an idea. Um, or even like when some neighboring departments um, would experience that, I've really felt the need to like go warn them. Yeah. Okay, bud, this is, this is going to be a multi-year thing and uh, here's some things to look out for. So I'm really glad that we're able to sit down here and talk some of this through and yeah. hopefully somebody can pull something from it that uh, will make a difference to them. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, we all want that and we all needed that. And I think we were fortunate enough that we were close enough that we had some of that for sure. Um, but there are definitely people that did not have that. Um, yeah. and they probably struggled a lot more. So we're very fortunate that we were tight. I mean, as tight, I think as companies get beforehand, um, and the way that we were all able to survive that together in the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, I know we all have kind of like our own little story. I think there's a lot of, um, crossover and I know we're all going to hit on that together and we're all going to have some of our own stories, you know, separate from all of us. And we're all just going to kind of jump in. There's no real good rhyme scheme to what we're doing. So anybody listening can just bear with us hopefully, and hopefully we'll keep it interested enough and, um, you know, with a good flow. But I know that as we were coming, we were writ that night and teamed up with truck seven from our own house. Um, we work really well together and we had gotten Nate, and we were bringing them out through the basement. We handed them to 105, which it was Nate's own crew. You know, yep. it's, it's your station. And I remember Glenn immediately took charge and did a phenomenal job of taking charge, oh, yeah. bringing Nate that out. A very, very vivid image of him. Same. Um, as soon as I came out of the backslider, um, I can see him today as it was yesterday. Yeah, same. Um, working over Nate. Yeah. Um, and that was impressed we were so spent after bringing nate out of the crawl space and going through what we did he was the guy who came in Mm -hmm. got him out the rest of the way Mm -hmm. 
and helped us bring him out. So he did that. A few minutes later, he's up on the deck doing work, and the, the deck gives way. And he got seriously injured. Oh, yeah. Um, he was off the, the yeah. floor for a while. He went down hard. He went down hard. Yeah. But he kept working. But, yeah, he passed away from, you know, occupationally related cancer. Um, so it's a year ago this month. Yeah. But I remember specifically sitting on the back wall of that landscape wall where we all were lined up. Um, and, uh, when he fell through and I looked at Trini and I said, this place is fucking cursed. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, what is happening? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're absolutely right. And we we know this now within one to two minutes of us leaving the crawl space, the crawl space that we were in collapsed. If that, yeah. If yeah, that, if that, um, when I was listening to Joe Connect's presentation, um, he said that when he went back up that short flight of steps where Lewis initially had gone up, mm-hmm. um, he remembers being there looking out at what used to be the floor and it was collapsed. Yeah. And that was, he said he specifically remembered when Captain Love uh, was saying over the radio that we had him and we had just gotten back to the top of the steps where Lowe's was Yeah, uh, when that happened. So if it was one to two minutes and putting those couple pieces together, it may have been much less than that. And that sticks with me. Like yeah. there could have been, you know, we lost Nate, but there could have been seven of us. It's so wild to think like, uh, when we were in there, um, I never really felt in danger. Yeah. Um, but then looking back and, you know, putting some of those pieces together and hearing some of the other guys' stories of, there was a certain unique peace and calm over the actions. Yeah. Um, and where we were and what we were doing that uh, I never felt worried. Same. I think I knew how I knew that it was bad, but I also knew that we were making forward progress. There was a small little actionable things that we kept working on and we, and they kept advancing that needle forward bit by bit. And so I knew that we were any curveball or setback that we had, we were managing and it, and it provided more confidence. And, and I knew that we all trusted each other to the nth degree, that there was no worry about what everybody was doing also. We all knew the mission, and we could operate independently and have that sense of togetherness to make it all happen as well. So I think that was that can't be understated, you know? Yeah, I, and where I was, there was one or two periods where um, I could stop for a second focus on my breathing a little bit make sure we were conserving air right and then by the time we got back to the top of the steps um my belt was going off but mm-hmm. i knew where we were and where we were headed and we were going out so that was really like the check marks of um that progression like, yeah yeah the bell's going off but we're good we, we know yeah. where we're going we got some time yeah yeah so we passed them off to 105 they did their work and we knew like we were we were no good after that, number one. Yeah, I remember definitely thinking, sorry to interrupt. No. Um, when I came out of the, the backslider, um, thinking that there was work to do. And then uh, Chief Bean um, said something that I think about a lot still. Um, the sweetest words probably I've ever heard, which was, go over there and take your stuff off. You're done. Yeah. And whenever we all got together at Station 3 for that one of those first kind of gatherings to get some information uh, i pulled him aside and told him like i don't know if you learned that somewhere you were taught that in a chief's class or seminar or something i don't know but um that made a big difference like i that was 
crucial at that time Yeah, to just have that separation between you're done with this, go over there and yeah. stand down. Yeah. That's just me. No, it was huge for us. And I remember I knew that I just physically wasn't even able to do anything if there was something to be asked of me or us. Um, but I remember there's still some fire showing in some weird places from the exterior. Yeah. And I, was, I remember being in a t-shirt by that point and just knocking down little bits of fire that I could just to keep moving and to stay busy. And I think we all knew that it was bad, but there was, I don't know, maybe for me just holding on that little shred of hope and being oh, surprised yeah. that Nate was going to be okay, you know? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I know we all went out back and while we we're waiting, said a little prayer. Yeah. We kind of you know, joined up in a circle and everybody from seven said a little prayer. I didn't really have good words. It just no, they were great. Something. I remember that. Um, it was a short Swede, and um, thankful to have that memory. Yeah, yeah. And, I um, had a really good feeling at that point when I first put my hands on Nate. I, yeah. My gut reaction was that he was dead. So in my mind, um, I knew that, or I would have been shocked if I had heard anything uh, away from that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he, he had the look from what bits I could see. I remember when we were bringing him out, he, he had the look and the feel. Definitely the feel. That's uh, yeah. the biggest sensory thing that I probably have outside of hearing past devices going off is uh, the sheer amount of uh, stiffness and the zero feedback that I got yeah. when I had my hands on him. Um, you know, usually if you're wearing clothing or gear, you know, the gear moves, your skin moves under it. You mm -hmm. know, if you slide your hands across somebody, uh, there's some give there. Yeah. And I didn't have that. It was like rolling a three-foot log. Um, yeah. I remember that very vividly. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I remember just that idle time was just awkward as hell. Yeah. And I remember going to the wagon and f talking to... Uh, another lieutenant he's like dude what happened in there and all i could say was we got trapped and we got out and we brought him out i have no idea yeah we yeah we we were trapped we got out we kept going we got him he came out I, i'm beside my i don't know what to say right now how we were just drenched i think that's a really kind of important point is like we were there and we knew what we did um but we don't know what other we don't know what happened before that. And we don't really know what happened after that. Yeah. Um, I can't even try to venture a guess. Mm. So people, when you hear people talk about that, it seems like uh, people think that they have a pretty good idea of what happened. But it's like if you weren't immediately there, intimately involved, you don't really know yeah. what happened. So many more questions and answers. And as firemen, I feel like we do a really great job of trying to fill the void with as little information as Try possible. Try to make sense of it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. You just don't know. I, along the lines of what you said about when we were, uh, had left the back of the bit, the house and we were putting our stuff back, um, I remember kind of putting my uh, SCBA back in its bracket and the buddy breathing lip hanging out. Yeah. Another one of those images that's burnt in there. Yeah. And uh, I would kind of thought about the next crew coming in there that would have to pick all that back up and put it back to put it back in service. Yeah. You know, what that might have 
look like or the uh, feeling they might have had whenever they were doing that. Sure. I remember feeling super guilty because we had a thousand feet of four inch on the street <laughs> and just apologizing. Like, I am so sorry. You have to re-rack that. And like my gear was just nasty and yeah, a mess. just thrown up in the cab. And because I just assumed we left on the rig, we we're going to bring it back. And we didn't. Yeah. I jumped up in the front of the cab and I fortunately had my phone with me. And I remember texting my wife and my mom because I grew up in the area and I'm sure she would know. And obviously when I text my wife that something just like hey we made it out we're okay whatever you hear yeah we're okay and um i remember my wife woke up to the text message and she told me one of our friends from pittsburgh had already seen the news when she woke up first thing and she saw the text from her friend in pittsburgh like hey is josh okay and she immediately flipped over and saw mine and was like yeah yeah he's okay i don't know what's going on but like he's okay and um we all start making our way up the street to, we have our MAB medical ambulance bus, <laughs> that, that, that big thing. And, um, <clears throat> we knew that we'd be going to the hospital and they'd be ringing, you know, kind of wrangling all a bunch of us up. And it was mostly people from seven and 10. I feel like that were all together Yeah, and five, five, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we walk away from the scene. We knew we were done. And the aide that night, you know, our friend, another guy from seven who was detailed to be the aide tonight, you know, Brian. Um, He's the best. <laughs> one of my best friends. Um, he looks at me and looks down on the ground and holds up a four. Yeah. And um, it was then I knew that, you know, Nate had passed. Yeah. And then um was acting fire chief because our other fire chief was doing, um like, humanity work out of country. Yeah. And um, he told everybody that, you know, Nate had passed. Yeah. You know, we're sitting on the side of a road and lets us all know. And, um, you know, you see some grown men cry and you see a lot of people, yeah. you know, give hugs and just look down to the ground and kind of kick rocks, you know. At that, at that moment, um, people would kind of, it was, it was quiet, obviously. Yeah. But um, people at least... The guys, I remember Tim Daly, a couple guys from 10 and us. And like the only thing that we knew to do, and which was exceptional, was to go up to somebody and be like, hey, you good? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you good? And uh, it, it kind of cracks me up now. Like, <laughs> but that's all we knew at the time. That's, that's all you know. That's right? all we knew was to be like, check on, check in on your buddies. And, uh, and all we knew was we to were, say was like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm good. We were 15 minutes post, you know, like Craziest nobody had any idea. Yeah, we did. And we didn't know the ride that was coming. We no. just, we just didn't know. Yeah. And similarly, like when we showed up to, to work that day, like you don't know what's coming. Yeah. You know, it's another day, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like you get to prepare, like you got to take the prep that you've already done, you know, the, the discipline of all the previous months of shifts and go with what you got, you know, yeah. just kind of interesting. But, and then uh, we were in the bus and I didn't have my phone that night. Uh, I left it on the bedside, you know, when those certain tones in the bunk room go off, I just go, mm -hmm. um, yeah. no shoes, put a shirt on, on the way, maybe. Right. <laughs> um, but I didn't have my phone <clears throat> and, uh, I used yours, yeah. uh, to call, um, Kristen first. Um, she answered and then I called my dad because I knew my mom, she wakes up early and I didn't want her 
to wake up and see something on the news and me not have my phone and them to have those few minutes of panic. Mm. Um, so I was able to reach home. Thanks for the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I remember looking down, um, Mun was sitting next to me who was, you know, right there alongside of us and he had his head down. I remember it just being eerie because you got the red lights of the yeah, man. You know, that bus, was so weird, just dude. having those red lights on. Yeah. And he was looking down at his phone and just swiping pictures, looking at his kids, just tears rolling down his face. I remember I put my arm around him and I remember thinking, like, I cannot wait to be home and see my kids. Um, that's one of those images just, you know, we're shoulder to shoulder and, you know, in one of those moments where you feel, I don't want to say you feel weak, but you have that other family your literal biological family that's back home. That's probably, they're freaking out as well. I mean, you can get in the stories of what the wives and kids and spouses had to go through as well. Cause they experienced it a different way. And it's a whole nother story. It's a whole sure. other story. Yeah. God bless. Um, so you were on our way. And I remember we walked into the hospital. We get dropped off. We go through the ER. I remember seeing, you know, we were assigned at sevens. We were right next to the hospital and we like knew some of the nurses and some of the staff. I know we all have our own little experiences at the hospital, but I remember, you know, there was almost like a receiving line and walking in, like everybody could go in and say some words if you wanted to. I remember standing in the threshold of the, of his room. He's draped in a flag. Yeah. And, um, I remember feeling awkward. I remember like standing in the doorway, just looking at the flag and not knowing, like, what the hell am I, what am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to say? Like, people are going in, saying something like, what? I have no fucking clue what I'm supposed to do or say right now. So I stood in the threshold, you know, and I just walked out. I I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, obviously people are hugging and talking and crying. And um, the investigators came in and immediately like, you got to write everything down that, you know, and press hard, make three copies kind of thing. And that kind of sucked. It would mean it was probably good in that it was a little bit of a distraction, but it was also like, and I feel it for them. Like they have to have reports and paperwork and things to figure out. Um, I remember just being super awkward. Just, I remember looking up as I'm writing the report and I could look over my left shoulder and I had a straight shot and I could just see the flag and see his body. And then put my head down and keep writing. And I look up and I look over and there's the flag again. And he's just in the room. And look back down and keep writing. Um, it was really eerie. Yeah, Nate's wife, Celeste. Um, <clears throat> we all got the message that, hey, she's coming. She's on her way. And I remember we all lined up in the ER. And it was a... From what I remember hearing, it was in an effort to one, obviously show respect and then also have, it's almost like a receiving line. Like she doesn't have to awkwardly, like, where am I going? Like we're almost guiding her to the room. Remember they said, you know, stand at attention. And a couple seconds later, they're like, Hey, false alarm. I remember thinking, mother fucker, are you serious? I could visualize Celeste coming through the doors, you know, another wreck. And having to see that and witness that, knowing they have kids, um, like God, I just want to be home. And once they're like, "Hey, nope, false alarm," I was like, "That just like crushed me." And I was like, um, "I remember I made a phone call to seven and talked to one of the guys. I was like, listen, don't do it yet. 
if I give you the green light, can you get here as soon as you can to pick us up? It's like, yep, you just say the word. And I remember I turned around and looked at you guys and like, listen, I have a ride for us. If you want to stay here and be here for Celeste, I'm good with that. If you don't want to go through that, we can go back and leave and we can, you know, take care of us. I remember that. And uh, my gut feeling at that moment was uh, that I was ready to leave, but I didn't really want to say anything in case somebody else wanted to be there. Um, But I was, I'm thankful to not have that image. Uh, And I'm thankful that we we did what we did. I felt like I strong-armed people a little bit because you guys were like, no, no, whatever you want to do, it's fine. And honestly, we didn't know what to do. And yeah, we really didn't. (laughs) So I know. Yeah. I'm, I I do feel like I did not want to see Celeste selfishly yeah. go through that, um, and I wanted to be home, and so I just made the decision. All right, one of our guys picked us up, got us back to the firehouse, yeah. and as we're driving out of the parking lot, the black SUVs with Celeste are pulling in. Yeah, um, and I was just I remember being mixed like we dodged a bullet, and I felt like I also. It was this weird mix of like you couldn't man up for a couple more minutes and be there for her. And then there was that also part where like, now nah, you're protecting you and your guys' mental well being and not having to witness that either. I was just, I was I was split down the middle. Yeah. It was weird. It was uh the things you remember, you know, but I remember the guys from seven that had like went through our stuff, like our lockers and our gym bags and stuff and brought us clean clothes or whatever, yeah. which was just a little detail. I don't, yeah. Nobody changed in the, in the hospital. We just went back, but it was a nice gesture. A nice gesture. Right? Yeah, they're looking out for us. Yeah. 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 Remember we get to the firehouse and I'm walking through the engine bay. Obviously all kinds of people are there and you know, it's kind of humming. And I remember walking through and I see three people, three young guys yeah. off in the back, just kind of huddled up. And I remember thinking, this is the first day of our recruits class, the latest recruit class. They just graduated and this is their first day on the job. Yep. And I took a second. I remember thinking if this was 12 hours earlier, it could have been one of them on this call. Hmm. And you could just see their like starry eye. They don't know what the hell to do or say. And I remember walking over to them and saying, guys, I am going to apologize in advance. Um, we don't really know what to do or say right now. And we are trying to figure this out. We're going to be figuring this out for a while. And all I ask is patience. You know, please be patient with us. We're going to support you as best we can. Um, normally we have a routine and it's going to be a little bit different right now. And so I just ask that you be patient with us and we'll, we'll get you right as soon as we can. Um, but I really don't have the words for you right now. And they were incredibly understanding and, um, I'm sure that was very awkward for them. First five minutes on the job, walking in the firehouse and it's just mayhem, you know, I can't imagine And officers coming up and, and saying, you know, like, Hey, what happened? What do you know? And just, you know, say what little bit you did, but you really didn't know. Yeah. Um, you know, people are trying to piece it together. And I remember I got my stuff. I didn't even unmake my bed. <laughs> like somebody had to do it for me later, you know, later on, but I remember thinking, all right, check in with a couple people, and then I'm going to roll. 
And looking back, I didn't realize after the fact how many people had stayed at, at the station for a while just to be with each other. Um, I remember looking back and thinking, man, I, as much as I want to be home, I also, I felt, I was hard on myself. I felt like I failed the guys because they all hung out. They needed to be together and decompress a little bit more. And I chucked the deuces. Yeah. And everybody deals with it in their own little way, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. everybody that needed a ride or needed something, had somebody, they was already uh, peer support there and yeah. a lot of other people there. Yeah, it was uh, in the works. I do remember one member of the peer support team kind of mentioning to me that um, people will want to stay there and be with each other. Um, so I think, you know, we had the togetherness, um, but eventually got to go home. Got to go home. Which is kind of, yeah. I, don't, I don't really remember much about, I don't remember the ride home at all, you know. Um, I don't remember talking to anybody or anything. And I think sometimes the brain kind of throws in some protective measures here and there to keep you from remembering some things. Absolutely. Um, I remember, you know, guys starting to trickle out and then I left. And before I left, I asked Drini what he was going to do. And I think he said he was going over to the union office to hang out there for a while before he went home. Um, Which I'm not even sure if I ever checked to see if he actually did that or what, but um, yeah, some point you gotta go. I was driving home <clears throat> and uh, going back to music. I was like, let me put on just some feel good, like you know, beach rock reggae. And um, but it was, I think it's Stephen Marley and an abnormally slow reggae song. And it was, it's gonna be all right. And for anybody that knows that song, like it was just, it was such an eye. First time I ever heard of it, it's a hard departure from that like genre of music and it just grabbed my attention and it was just very serendipitous it was just super odd i remember screenshotting it um be like wow this is fucking weird and yeah obviously people are calling and blowing up my phone so i pull into the house and it's summer so the kids are you know home and we had a, a friend of a friend who was like watching our kids over the summer and we told her like hey my wife told her like listen you can stay home today we just kind of need some space and i walk in and my girls were um like all dolled up in princess dresses and like running around the house <laughs> i remember thinking I, I took a couple of pictures i remember like i'm, I'm probably going to want to remember this i remember my wife prepped the girls um before i'd gotten home to like kind of let them know um we don't try to hide really much from them like you know honesty is the best policy here and one of them my youngest one comes up and i think at the time they were like four and two so they were young and um you know one my youngest daughter said is um hey daddy is your friend hurt i didn't really know what to say i was like yeah he's um yeah he's hurt he's he's not gonna make it home and just for a two-year-old, you know, they can't really process that. And she was daddy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, here, what's going to be the next question? She's like, um, can you make me cereal? And I just kind of laughed because, like, I had to go back into dad mode yeah. at the same time, right? Like, I'm um, a couple hours post the crazy event of my life. And like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make my two-year-old some cereal. <laughs> yeah. And I, as I'm walking over through the kitchen, you know, my oldest 
um, Harper. I was like, Dad, is your friend um, going to come home? And I remember thinking, um, and telling her, like, no, she's, he's not going to make it home. Um, and, and she goes, Dad? Go, yeah. Ken, like, what's the next question going to be? She's like, you're standing in front of the TV. <laughs> it's just the middle of summer, early morning, and, you know, so it's like, kinda, it kind of made me laugh. So, you know, go back into that mode. And I remember just every night when I'm putting the girls to bed for weeks, um, my girls kept asking, like, why is your friend not home? Why, what happened to him? Why is, you know, why, why, why are you crying? Like just every single night and be, we'd be driving down the road like dad, like, yeah, what happened to your friend? And it was just like these weird questions, like a little innocent kid is at least aware enough of what's happening and what's going on. But you know, my wife was awesome. She's like, I got the kids. I'm going to take care of stuff. Like do what you need to do. And I remember a couple of things stuck in my mind. Like one, I got to write all this down because I'm sure there's gonna be a massive investigation and I just need to know what it is like unfiltered, get it on paper. Still hadn't showered at this point. Um, and I also remember reading, um, Dave Grossman's book on combat. When you have crazy events like that, you had two groups of people in the military, the ones that would go and drink their faces off and the ones that would go and like work out. And I remember thinking like, whatever I'm going through right now, I need to feel this and I don't need to dampen it with alcohol. I remember thinking, don't drink because hormonally, like I'm just jacked right now and I'm just going to throw a depressant on that. Like I need to feel this. I need to let it work its way out of my system. And I remember I didn't drink for like the entire week until we got to like Nate's actual funeral. Um, but then I showered, I crashed. Um, and then I know we woke up and I, um, we went to go see my family that night because they were obviously freaking out and asking for the story. And, um, you know, I can count on one hand how many times my dad is like hugged me and said, I love you, that kind of thing. And I remember going through that and reliving it from what I knew at the time. Um, seeing him upset was, you know, kind of rocked me. But that was the first couple minutes of just getting home. Uh, what? I mean, you're coming home to three kids. Yeah, two at the time. Um <clears throat> and Kristen had arranged for my parents to have the kids, so things would be a little less chaotic when I walked in. Um, and she asked what I needed, and I said, I just need to go upstairs and lay down. Um, <clears throat> on the way home, I had downloaded a uh, voice recorder app. Um, I knew that there was going to be investigations, and I knew that the more people started talking about it, the more it may affect exactly like what my freshest memory was. So whenever I got home, which was probably close to lunchtime, uh, I laid in bed and pressed the voice recorder and just spoke it out from the time we got there, got off the engine until we were back out, you know, and putting our stuff on the end, back on the engine. Um, Really glad that I did that yeah. uh, and then slept for a while. But uh, later on, whenever we did the um, NIOSH interviews, um, I had that voice recording. So I was able to just play it for him and then answered a few questions. Yeah. So I was um, 
thankful that I had the forethought to be able to, like you said, take, you know, write, take yeah. the notes, uh, while it was as fresh as I could remember all the intimate details, um, record it. And, uh, yeah, I think for that afternoon, I went over to my shop and was just hanging out, sitting in the chair, um, answering those phone calls and texts a little bit that, um, people checking in yeah. and then went over to Rich's later because he had moved yeah. not far away. So we went over there to hang out for a little bit and kind of talk about how crazy it was. And yeah. actually you called me while I was there to check in, see mm -hmm. what I was up to. Um, and I remember you saying, well, it's good you guys are together. So, but, uh, we had another day off and then we were, you know, going back in to work on Wednesday. I was on Kelly day that day. Um, and I already had a little, yeah, <laughs> I already had a little trip planned with some other, some outside the work buddies. We were going fishing and camping and whatever for a few days, but I went seven and, um, just to help things get back a little bit, um, get back on the right foot, you know, and it was mm -hmm. the normal, um, early BA, you know, early relief BHX and, drills and all the normal things uh that they were doing and then we rode back down to woodscape mm. and did the walkthrough and that's when uh i had my first interview with the atf i remember um when I left that morning to go back into work. I remember my wife saying, you don't have to go in. Like you can take time. You don't have to do this. You don't have to like, it's okay to say like you need a day. And I remember thinking like, I, I know, but we all need to be there for each other right now. And I remember like, and I heard this from a lot of guys like that, that hug and that kiss goodbye that morning. Was, was different very different yeah very different for both of us i remember we went in and talking about the sism team we're sitting there with uh the captain jimmy love and we're looking at each other like we don't know these guys and they're not going to talk i think there were yeah. some guys from montgomery county and if it was you if you're listening like we apologize we're like hey listen thanks for trying <laughs> You yeah. can't be here. So I remember they sent them to another firehouse and they like, listen, you have to have somebody. So I'm just I'm like, we're literally ordering you to have somebody there, but we'll get somebody else. I think it was Doug Welsh. Like one of our own captains came in and was like, I'm just here. I'm going to sit in the back if you need me. I'm here. But I remember we did kind of kick the guys out. We're like, sorry, dude, it's not you. Um, and I remember the other firehouse was buzzing and we kept it as normal as we could like doing the checks and you can see it was just like a, that energy there of like let's make this as normal as possible um and i know we all gave each other time to go around the table and talk and cry and say your own experience yeah and i do applaud our department because they were going through they're bringing every company through every station every shift so they could see the site and as we knew it at that time like this is what happened and i think it gave people a ton of awareness of what we went through what the crews went through and then just get be able to match that up with the pictures and um i think it took care of a ton of like rumor control number one but it got everybody on the same page so they could at least 
have some connection to it and experience it. Um, but I do remember you going into the investigation, um, and we had been there for a little while and we were all, I think, waiting on the wagon for you. And then a box comes out and, um, you know, you hop on the wagon, you're off, but you just came down with us. And I remember turning and looking at you. I remember you walking up the hill and you were obviously very upset. And, um, I'd known you for, you know, 13, 15 years by that point. Yeah. And it's like, I've never seen Andy cry that hard. Yeah. And we go to the box or we're starting to run down the ground. I turn around and it's like, listen, we do not. I will put us in service and we'll go back to the firehouse. And I remember you look at me just like through tears and choking. I just like, just fucking go. <laughs> and I remember I felt two inches tall because I like, I just put one of my best friends in a really bad situation. Um, and I felt two inches small and luckily we got put in service and we drove back. Um, yeah. but they asked you some tough questions. They sure did. Um, three or four people <clears throat> in like a, a large vehicle. Uh, and, uh, they did ask some hard questions and it was, it was a difficult situation. Um, nothing like, uh, you know, breaking down and crying in front of strangers, but then they offered to stop several times. Um, but, uh, I wanted to be helpful and tell them, uh, everything I could to help. And, uh, we, we did it. Um, yeah. They had you second guessing yourself though. There were some things that I was not ready to hear. Are we going to talk about this and maybe edit it out? Or are we going to put it right out there? I, I remember that they asked questions and they had you second guess what you did. Yeah. And I remember you being really hard on yourself and not thinking. I don't think it was. I don't mean to interrupt you. No. They weren't really. It was me second guessing me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything that they alluded other than the facts that they knew them at that point. Right. Uh, those individuals had set through the autopsy mm -hmm. and they had some real information, you know, and, uh, the facts of, um, so, uh, from what I knew from my experience and then what they had to say, um, yeah. Um, I felt, uh, some, like there could have been some responsibility on me for that. Some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just remember that being hard on you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, um, there were some things there that we did that like, I was sure some things that I checked when we were in the hole and, uh, some co things that I was confident about, um, checking air and that sort of thing. When I was making my way to Nate, I'd pull my body breathing lip out. But at the time, I saw that there was air in his tank and his mm -hmm. BA was hooked up. So I made the decision not to hook up. And in that moment, I felt the urgent need that we need to get out right yeah. now. Yeah. So we went. And you went, you know, that seemed like that's what we did. Yeah. Um, and then whenever later uh, for that interview, um, I felt like maybe my... Uh, Maybe I really wish I would have tried to give him some air. 
taking yeah. that time. The way things work out, the way the universe works, that 30, you know, those seconds to minutes where the, the rest of that area collapsed, maybe if I had hooked up, uh, maybe we would have all been in a bad spot. So maybe yeah. that gut feeling of we need to get out right now, maybe it had something to do with that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was, there was some time there after that interview where I was like, man, I really wish. Yeah. And uh, you can't do that. You yeah. can't do the wish thing. Um, you have to accept pretty darn quickly that things happen the way they happen and you weren't going to change it anymore. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you rely, you know, start selling yourself that and believing it, that, man, it just, it happened the way it happened. Yeah. And now we're moving forward. <laughs> That's all there was to, that we could do. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. If we spent more time, it could have been different. And looking back with the autopsy reports, it took us a little while to get the information, but we knew, we found out later that, you know, he was down there long enough, it wouldn't have affected anything. And in that yeah. twisted way, it, it kind of gave at least me some peace, um, knowing that what was done was done. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, I remember driving to something like, because I on my two days off right after ATF had me come down and do the questioning. And we, I remember we were standing in the basement of the house, looking at the steps to the crawl space. Actually, we didn't even know it was a crawl space yet. We thought it was like a sunken living room. Um, and they were asking questions and, um, they were very like nice and supportive. And, um, we we're just trying to put pieces together because nobody knew what the hell was going on. Um, and I just remember that was day one of, a summer that rained incessantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just the rain and the muck and going back home and talking to my wife, like I need, I think I need to get back on the horse. And I remember telling her like, I, I need to call the training Academy and just like put him through the fireground survival course, like the confidence course at the end. Like, I think I know guys that would do that for me. Like, I think I need to get back in there and just like, make sure I don't freeze up. And she looked at me and was like, what the, yeah, you've already, cause you've already done it. Like she's like, you, you were just all the, all the training that you've been doing and the stress inoculation stuff and the way you push each other and the workouts and the, the, the team building, like everything that you all have done just validated what it is that you did. It was a magic time. Like everything hit at the right point. And I remember that kind of rocked me back on my heels and I don't mean to sound arrogant. Like it's, um, <laughs> part of it was like, don't be ridiculous. You don't need to do a confidence course. And yeah. part of it was kind of like the last 13 years, however long it was that we had spent doing little things every single day culminated to this one moment. Yeah. Um, and it did validate everything that we had been doing. Um, so I remember that really checked me. Um, going back to the firehouse, even though the entire department had gone through, um, seeing the incident scene being walked through, I remember just insane rumors like, oh, Nate died because he was strangled. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. Like I heard that one, like he got caught in wires and was strangled to death. <laughs> or I just like that. No. Yeah. Like, or people would come in and be like, well, this, this is the reason like this happened or well, this and like, were you in, these are people that weren't even there. Yeah. And they're talking to guys from seven and 10 who were there 
hands on him. And I remember I tried to patiently educate anybody that I could, like, what you're going around all the firehouses saying is incorrect. This is the facts as we know them. And then the ice report would come out, like all kinds of stuff would happen. And it was just amazing. Like we would still fill, fill the voids with just like insane comments. Like you say, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And until it's you, you can say what you would do, but you don't really know. Yeah. You just, cause it hasn't been you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember we, I forgot about that night. We were, we made the conscious effort to have like, we kind of call it like family time. Like I remember we all had a meal. We had a meal together. We went to a restaurant. It was very private. We didn't allow anybody in. It was just us with spouses. Um, I remember our phone was blowing up like, Hey, we want you guys over here. We want to make a speech. And it was incessant. Like, no, you need to come over here right now. We want to do speeches and this and that. And like, we're we're having family time. We'll we'll come over when we're ready. And it was really nice to detach and hang out together and spend time together. Um, We were our best support system. We were. God. We were. I don't know what kind of foresight we had, but we, um, to come away and kind of put up a little bit of a wall and For just sure. have us time. Like we yeah. insulated ourselves to protect ourselves, but we did it in such a way that we had the ability to connect and talk and yeah. decompress without the distractions of everything that yeah. was happening externally. Brian opened his home up. Yeah. Had us all up there stay yeah. for that night. And before that, I guess we yeah. went over there. And, and that dude's like whatever. Martha Stewart, man. He, I think he has like apron on, <laughs> spotless, crock pot meals. Like every the meal was, shelf there. was out. <laughs> top shelf, <laughs> you know, bourbon connoisseur uh, stuff was out. And that was another period. Like we kept focusing on having time for us to connect with each other, just be together, and with our wives, and Stay just close. be together yeah. and not funnel into that side of mm-hmm. it. I think that was some of the first drinks I had, you know, almost a week later. Yeah. But even then, it was slow. It was slow. I, mean, I remember when we did go over there. We just kind of were, you could tell our heads were up every mm-hmm. now and then you would just see guys scan around to like check on each other, yeah. make eye contact. You're good. Um, just give each other a look. One or two drinks, but that's just the way it worked out. I don't think we ever even talked about like, Hey, these are some things we should do or not do. It was just, it was solemn enough that we, yeah. we never got in on the. Yeah. And I think we saw what that other end was because we. But when we got over there and saw that, yeah, there are people that just weren't doing well for many reasons. Everybody has a story in the way they deal with it. Yeah. That's just what worked for us. Yeah. There are, I think for the people that weren't there and we saw this at seven, I mean, in the wake of it, we saw a lot of people when they got detailed into seven, they'd call out sick. There were a lot of people that as these stories came out of what we had to go through, I think and I don't mean to assume too much, but I think they realize like this job is what people have claimed it is. It can be. Yeah. And there are people that weren't there that wanted to be there and struggle with that. I think there are people that weren't there and don't, I've had people say, I don't know. I don't think I, or I know I could not have done what the crews there did. And I struggle with that. And People struggle in their own ways, and I think that um, it gave an opportunity for reflection, but some of that reflection may not have been 
in the healthiest ways. So what better way to cope than with alcohol yeah. and making speeches and making t-shirts? And those are all fine when tempered appropriately. Yeah. Um, but we had, in the, a very uncanny way, I think we had an opportunity to like take care of each other in a way that um, we didn't realize we were doing, but we knew it felt right. And, um, it, I think we, it kept us even closer. You know, we weren't numb to things. We, we, we made a conscious or maybe even unconscious effort to, to feel the feels and talk it out and, um, just have that connection. And I think we all struggled in our own ways, but we fared better because we knew we had each other. That's what it was. We had each other. Yeah. That, so the next day the funeral comes. And I remember for a lot of people was kind of more like pomp and circumstance, you know, right. We're all in class A's and station 10, like you all, I think I had, were already like seated before the procession started, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I remember they, so you all already in there yeah. we're getting ready to start this massive, like almost statewide funeral, like governors there, everybody. And they're like, Hey, station seven, lead, lead the procession in to this massive auditorium. So I remember the, you know, Captain Love and I were, were the officers of seven. We're going to, we'll start the procession. So we're just sitting there standing at the doors waiting to get the green light. And I remember the honor guard, I think it was Dylan Murray comes out holding Nate's youngest kid. And remember they have, they're having slice of five kids. Yeah. I mean, three of their own. And the youngest comes out and he's on his hip and he comes out the doors and I'm thinking like, Hey, we're good. Like we're going to lead it in. It's going to be fine. And they stop right in front of us and they start looking around. And his youngest kid, I don't remember how old he was at the time, two or three maybe. And he goes, hey, that's daddy's fire truck. Like, let's go. I want to go see daddy. And I remember Captain and I, like, our chins hit our chest. And um, we lost it. Um, Kids, I mean, always freaking get me, man. And when he says, like, "I, I want to see daddy. Show me daddy's fire truck. Um, all right. And he's, and you know, he was awesome. He's like, yeah, let's go see dad. Um, man, that gutted me walking in there. And then, you know, we lead it in the processions happen and all that. And then, um, I know on the back end, they line up, they had us all line up. It was that weird couple hours of no rain and full sun in the middle of summer and people are dropping left oh, and right. Was- and they, to start it off, I remember they had like a procession for the wives and yeah. I think it was like a show of respect. And I remember a couple of our wives, just strong, independent, capable women were like, fuck that. You will not put me on display. I'll be back here. Do what you need to do. This is for him. Nice gesture, but no thanks. And people were falling out left and right. And then, um, and then you get to the wake and I remember just being, we kind of, I remember we slid off the side again. Yeah. We did our own thing. Um, you know, all kinds of people just hammered drunk, like arm around the shoulder. Like you guys did, you guys did a great job. You know, you did what you could or whatever. Um, and it was nice that people were thinking of us and were listening and paying attention, but, um, it was just a weird spot to be in. Wasn't sure how I felt about that yet when people would say that, Yeah, but I don't remember a lot of the funeral. Yeah. Um, I think it's that defense mechanism. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I think I remember feeling that 
funerals were kind of designed to make you cry, to <laughs> let that feeling be real and little, let a little of it out. Um, and I, <clears throat> it weighed on me. We sat behind ten, yeah, and ten and the wife, ten's wives, yeah, they're significant. All the significant others, and uh, that weighed on me. Yeah, seeing them. I remember, <laughs> remember some of the wives. I think it was Kristen Schultz was like just she was handing me tissues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we're all sitting there crying together, and she's just like one row back, just like hand feeding me <laughs> tissues for a couple of times. It wasn't too long after that, um, you know, next shift or two, um, Celeste comes, or we hear that Celeste wants to come talk to Seven. I have a story about this, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, and we didn't know what it was going to be. We just thought, okay, she wants to come talk to Station Seven. You know, we pulled her husband out. I was sweating. And we thought we'd sit at the kitchen table and everything was going to be fine. You know, she'd have some questions for us. And um, I remember some of like the union and family reps came a little earlier. <clears throat> I was like, hey, man, so like, what's up? What, what we, should we expect? And the one guy was like, oh, she's going to ask you what happened. She wants to know like how you found him, um, what position he was in. Did he have it or did he not have it? Like, she's going to ask you hard questions, so buckle up. And I remember thinking, talking to Kevin, I was like, we cannot do this with the whole shift. Um, we gotta, we have to do this. Yeah. And I remember we went into like the TV room and we had kind of had our little intimate thing and she asked hard questions. Yeah. And I get it from her point. She wants to know what the hell happened to her husband. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty emotional and pretty stressful. Um, and I tried to be as honest as I could, I try not to assume too much because, you know, we still didn't have answers. Yeah. Um, just remember coming out and then like going right back into immediately, like running calls and going in that. We were, I was nervous that day. We knew she was coming and, uh, didn't know what to expect. And, uh, you guys didn't tell us beforehand that it was just going to be you two. Hmm. So when you took her in there, like, and closed the door, I was like, oh, wow. Like, uh, you just sheltered us from that. And I was driving on the line that day on 71. Yeah. And uh, after you guys came out, we were back to running calls. And uh, we ran a medical down off our mail with Sierra Lane. Mm -hmm. And we were coming out. I pulled the wagon over. I said, man, that was some big boy shit. I remember that. To shoulder that and uh, step up and have the forethought to save us all from having that exp that exposure, that experience, that memory, good or bad, because we didn't know what was coming. But uh, I was super duper impressed with you and Captain Love that day. Thank and you. you never told me, and you haven't to this day, what was said there, and you've never spoken about it. Man, that's a big deal. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was, um, I did uh, most of the talking, um, and it was just hard questions. I'm not asking. You know? No, no, but, it's okay. Uh, she wanted to know what happened. Yeah. She wanted to know what he looked like. She wanted to know, yeah. she wanted to know the things that other people were going to tell her. 
That was just a real big deal. I still feel that way. Thank you. Yeah, that was a weird one. Um, and I mean, just on the heels of that, like just constant funerals, retirees yeah. coming through and just left and right. And there were some times when the department, not the department, there were certain individuals that were very checked out and were like, all right, well, if you're going to do this, you need to use your own leave. And like, it was just, it was very inconsistent. It was very weird there for a while about which ones we were going to, which ones we weren't. And then it got to points where like 10 and seven would talk to each other. Like, Hey, you doing this one? Are you going to this one? Yeah. yeah. And we tried to be as supportive as possible um, to the family. And it just got to the points where like, we're starting to pour from an empty cup and it's going to be a little too much. And I love bagpipes. Oh boy. And Not I'm not anymore. And um, it's also getting to be a little too much. And so it got to the point to where, like, um, we had to bow out. It was it was taking a it was taking a toll, and that's and I can't like stress enough how impressed I am by Celeste and the family because they were doing it at an insane pace, constant, being pulled in so many different directions. And there's you know a dozen grown ass men who are like, yeah, we need to we need sit to we, we need to sit this one out, yeah. And they, I mean, the kids are there yeah. and again, like the kids, uh, his one daughter went up one of them because she wanted to like present something like she made something or heard something for her dad that they could keep in like a vessel. And I remember like just being gutted again because, you know, here comes, here comes the daughter just strong as her mom and a, yeah. and a spitting image, spitting image. Yeah. God, man. Um, and I mean, you want to see. You know, thirty grown men cry as soon as those kids get involved. Man, like we were done. Yeah. Um, but they're just their strength is unreal. We did a lot, though. We it was did, a lot. We did a lot. It was a crazy pace. I forgot. Um, not too long after my oldest had turned, was turning five, and both sides of our family were at our house, and we're all close. And you know, I'm one of four. My wife's one of three. Girlfriends, wives were all there. Grandparents. And uh, I'm grilling, and when I come into the kitchen, and the girls are running around and having a good time, and everybody's you know playing games with each other, and everybody's happy and together. And I remember sitting in my kitchen and just looking over my shoulders, like Celeste is at home without husband, without the father, and I broke down in my kitchen. Yeah, I remember feeling so guilty that I. I'm here getting to experience this and be with my kids and she's at home without that. And I remember I went upstairs and I got in a good cry, came back down, <laughs> washed my face and uh, went back to grilling. And um, I didn't tell anybody about that for probably at least a year. Um, and then enough time had gone by where people are starting to push. I had a couple of close friends like, hey, what you all went through was pretty insane. Like you need to need to educate people on this like put your name in for fdic whatever i was a little resistant at first um but i started just kind of throwing a presentation together and getting ready for it and seeing if they would even accept it and i had the opportunity to talk about like our experience and do my presentation for the writ operation at a uh, chiefs maryland chiefs conference and i found out right before i get there that celeste and mark falkenham's wife are going to be there and so I go through the, 
you know, the incident. She was able to see some videos that she hadn't seen before, um, provided some more context. Um, and I talked about my experiences and just told a couple of those stories where I kind of broke down with my family. And I remember thinking like, how dare I talk about my experiences and my times when I felt weak in front of the two widows that lost their husbands in the line of duty. And I remember them coming up to me afterwards. I'm like, here we go. We're feeling two inches tall and she's, I'm getting ready for her to be like, how the fuck dare you? (laughs) And, um, they both gave me a hug and like, and, and thanked me that like, and I think she said something effective that, you know, sometimes we forget that you guys struggled too. And then you got stuff going on at home. Um, so thank you. And I also had a picture of me and Nate from when we were riding together one day. And she's like, I hadn't seen that picture before. And like that smile that he had. So thank you for that. Um, and it totally like, oh my God, she's, <laughs> she's reasonable. Like she's just an awesome person. And, um, it, it put me at ease, but I was, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. Um, yeah, she's the embodiment of grace. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can put it. She's God, like you I, mentioned uh, Colorado though. So IFF Memorial in Colorado Springs. And so, you know, we all go. And um I was super thankful for you because we got out and we hiked and we did all the sightseeing and yeah. we, we moved the, what the amount of stuff that we did in like a 72 hour period was just insane. Right? I just want the record to show that we hiked the Manitou incline before you guys. So I think we have the land speed record though yeah, for whatever. firefighters. <laughs> George was just trying to show off. And he's like sprinting up the hill. I'm like, it's going to catch up to him. It's gonna catch up to him. Like, I can't breathe. I told you we're at altitude, idiot. <laughs> so I actually, um, like an idiot, I forgot my pants. I remember. I forgot that. my class A pants. <laughs> oh, that's right. From all the about that freaking funeral the stuff yeah. and all the uh, wakes and memorials. And Zolik had a connection in Colorado Springs from some chief, everybody. and yeah. literally pulled up to the hotel like an hour before. Like, here's some pants, and they, they fit. Come in like uh, they fit better than my own pants. <laughs> like, what are the chances? This guy was phenomenal. I think he's the assistant chief out there somewhere. Um, so totally saved me. And then we, you know, we do the funeral. And I remember just, I think that's when I really first started, like, I, like I tied one on the night before, like just sweating Guinness and whiskey. And we do the incline. Yeah. And we get to the top. <clears throat> and I remember. I remember feeling like that was closure for us. It was me, you, and Brian. And we got to the top. And I think it was that period of struggle and getting to the top of a literal and metaphorical mountain. We had the closure of the memorial and we get to the top. And I remember we were just kind of like arm in arm. And uh, I feel like a, like a weight was lifted off of our shoulders in that moment. Uh, I don't, it was, I remember from that moment on how impactful that was. And um, it was a couple months later, my wife, like had a little trip. We went, we were going to Shenandoah and I remember cresting over this one hill. And as soon as I saw the mountain, I just started crying. I remember thinking that I feel it. I got one. Um, they just being in nature, but then also just like getting to the top of these mountains and struggling and knowing that it's okay. Um, it changed me like that climb 
changed me. Yeah. It was different after that. And there's something in the struggle. Yeah. Something that you can find, especially with friends, um, us, mm-hmm. doing hard things together. Um, you go places sometimes spiritually. Um, it brings it out or you find it. Yeah. Uh, I think we all felt that there. Yeah. And we called Drini on our way back down. <laughs> yeah. So he could be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's where uh, Colorado Springs is where the bagpipes happen for me. Yeah. I, I don't think I've heard one since. And yeah. uh, I'll choose that all the time. I just don't show up or tune it out. Mm-hmm. But I can't, can't do bagpipes anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know many that can from 7 or 10 that, yeah. Yeah. And this is nothing against the military at all. Like, let's say you do your average four and out. They have done amazing things for themselves, for this country. Like, my love runs deep. Um, sometimes it might be a four and out. You know, we accumulate some of these things that we have 20, 25, 30 plus years. And you do start to recognize those names. Yeah. Um, I know you talk about the Banner Brothers podcast and Jocko. I'm a big one for that. Yeah. Just, Talk, talk on that for a minute. Well, uh, Woodscape consumed me for years. I just, I thought about it all the time, every day. Um, and, uh, I thought I was pretty well back to a pretty good, uh, order of life, I guess, but, um, I never really, uh, it it just, it took a while. And, um, for, Saul. Saul. I struggled for, well, ever since then, but for two years it was probably worse, the first two. Um, and uh, I think I didn't seek help, I, I didn't have a therapist. I should have. Um, I wish I would have. And for anybody listening, you should jump right on that. Um, I thought for a long time about writing notes or keeping a journal. And I should have done that. It was probably two and a half, three years before I started writing. And then I sat down for a couple days and put 20, 30 pages down. And Hmm. that made a huge difference for me. Um, But the first big difference for me... um, came when our dear friend Brian uh, was listening to a podcast mm. of Jocko, I think number 17. Um, and right around, I think the hour and 14 minute mark, it's a Band of Brothers podcast, but he starts kind of talking, I think almost going off script, sending a message um, to the veterans. Um, and uh, I listened to it. I listened to it a ton, wrote, you know, many times um and it gave me the words that i couldn't find to get some of that closure mm-hmm. or to express my feelings um about it and it was uh i think that was two two and a half years later whenever he sent that out um and immediately i felt that weight that was the first weight lifted off the shoulders for me but uh i would recommend i, th- I think those words are uh not nearly as well known as they should be for people that have had uh, events or things that have left scars 
um, I've pulled up here. It's paraphrased. Yeah, I think we like if we can, we'll try to throw it on the end of this so people can hear yeah. it. But if you yeah, yeah paraphrase it for us. Well, I actually have it, I have it queued up in my podcast thing. But um, it's uh, it more or less says that if you're having one of those dark days, it's okay. It's okay to feel that darkness and to remember it and miss it and hate it and love it. And it's okay to wish it never happened and at the same time to wish it never stopped. And it's okay to want to take it all back and at the same time to want to do it all again. And if you've got it in your mind that you think that nobody understands, it's okay. They don't. But you do. You know the darkness, but more important than that, you know good. You know light. And you know laughter and love better than anyone. So embrace it. Own it. Don't look away from it. Don't parade in booze or pills. Live your life. Embrace it with physical activity and nature, friendships, um, music, good times, you know. I encourage everybody to listen to that. And, uh, yeah, it's about moving forward. And that's... uh, I went from like 50%. I kind of always rated myself in like a self-assessment um, as like a percentage. Like if I, if I felt like I was 50% back to more or less normal or who I was before Woodscape, I probably jumped up to like 80% just hearing that. Yeah. Which is the power of words. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's music or a song or the ability to write something down um, or simply a, a key conversation with somebody. Uh, not long after that, a few months after Brian sent us that, training was detailed out to four, and uh, Woodscape didn't come up all day. Because mm-hmm. you were, you had I left was, seven, and yeah, you were now and at I was four. At four. Yeah. Um, and it didn't come up all day, and I think that, like, you don't always want to be that guy that brings it up, because mm-hmm. you never know your buddy. If he's in a good head space that day, you don't want to be the guy to, like, bring it up and kind of ruin that for him. Um. But we went down to the grill, Old Four, to mm-hmm. cook dinner. And uh, they came up there and he asked how, how I was doing. And uh, more or less said, it's been hard. And, uh, man, I really miss the guys mm-hmm. from Seven. Um, and I remember saying to him that, like, Everything that had happened in life pretty much to that point put us there for that. Mm-hmm. You know, when we got hired or the activities we did growing up or the choices we made or what were made for us. Um, missed promotions, uh, transfers that you didn't ask for. Um, you never really know why things are happening. You know, um, half the reason I even ended up at seven was because John was in the hospital for three months when he was mm-hmm. born. Um, when I came back for a few months, I tried to stick out the paramedic thing, but I really struggled with that. So I mm-hmm. let it go. And, uh, a few days later I was transferred to seven. A. If John wouldn't have been in the hospital would would I have been there for that? Right. You know? So, um, sometimes things happen and you don't know why, if, if you're fortunate, you get to look back and see kind of why things came together the way they did sometimes or the why. If it happened, if it didn't seem like it made sense at the time, 
or it wasn't what you wanted, but um, everything that had happened at that point put us there for that. Hmm. Such dumb as this. And, uh, you know, we got to pick up and move forward and got a lot of life to live after that. So yeah. where are we going to go and what are we going to do? But uh, so that was just one of those conversations that made another big jump in that recovery. Um, just that communication, you know, I would, I would, I wish we would have talked about it more. Uh, yeah. I think instead of being scared to bring it up, man, we should have just talked about it, Yeah, you know, and I'd, I'd encourage people, if you're thinking about it, talk to me about it. Cause I, I'm probably thinking about it too. Yeah. You know, I sent you that thing, a mm -hmm. uh, message on third anniversary because nobody was talking about it. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy, but if you're having a hard day, I am. So call me like, yeah. um, and you did call and we did have a talk about that and a cry and let a little more out and yeah, move forward a little more. Yeah. The second anniversary wasn't bad. Like there were some moments yeah. and we had talked to that. Um, you, I mean, for a couple of years, you think about it every single day and I probably had one time or another like every single day for the first year or two i would get misty eyed over something yeah sometimes it was good sometimes it was bad sometimes it was thankful um sometimes it was maybe feeling a little defeat um but and then over time we got to the point where we both texted like hey i went 24 hours without thinking about it i remember the very first time uh it was a month shy of three years when i was back at seven yeah and i came to you and a project at home so consumed my thoughts i came to and i came to work the next day and i was like hey buddy I, I think i didn't think about it yesterday for the first time yeah you know, three years yeah um just to give an idea of yeah you know but like you said with the podcast and with other people other people that have experiences um it never truly leaves it yeah, changes in kind degree of what, or severity yeah kind of what tj touched on there yeah. about those waves of emotion um decreasing in frequency and amplitude over time but they never go away mm -hmm. and it was one of the other Jocko podcasts where he talked about uh he had an old world war ii veteran in there mm -hmm. 95 years old and uh broke down crying about the buddies that he lost 50 years ago you know and that's when even Jocko realized it in himself that oh this this is never going to go away so yeah but uh we do have a responsibility to to live also mm -hmm. um, and carry on and, you know, make more memories and do more things together, you know? Yeah. yeah you really helped me on that one anniversary. Cause I remember, I think we had worked out together that morning and I remember thinking the entire time, like we should do something. We should go out. We should get coffee. We should do this and do that. Yeah. And I remember thinking, um, I don't want to be a burden. Like, I don't want to, like, hijack these people's day, you know? And so I left, and I remember feeling like there was this weird buildup. And I'm thinking, like, it's been a few years now. Like, I'm doing better. Like, why? And not that I was ever, like, super struggling, but it was just, like, this one's getting me for some reason. I don't understand why. Um, and I, I remember you you had felt it. And I remember, like, I don't remember who called who. Yeah. I thought you had called me. Yeah, whatever. Um, but you were like, I... Like I can feel the energy. Yeah. I can tell it's all, you're off. Are you okay? And I remember I was in my driveway and I like, I 
was crying hard enough I couldn't talk to you. Yeah, I remember that. That was number three. <laughs> that was three. Yeah. <laughs> and I just didn't understand why. Um, that was the whole but thing. I think a lot of it was you just don't know when it's going to come. And there was a lack of connection, I think. Like, I was just, I really wanted to be with my guys. And yeah. in an effort to, like, not get in anybody's way, I started, like, internalizing and not talking to people. And um, I was like, no, 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 I don't want to bother them or this or that. And everybody just wants to be together. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was, I was, what surprised me about number three was that um, I, it snuck up on me. I thought it was okay. Mm. And then I realized that like in June or um, the beginning of July, like I was fidgety. My heart was keeping skipping beats or it was just fast all the time. I wasn't sleeping. And really I thought it was just normal life things that was happening at the time. Mm. Like, and then all of a sudden one day I'm like two and a half hours in on the lawnmower and I'm just, there's nobody around and I'm just crying. Mm. in the middle of nowhere for no reason and then it, it dawned on me like oh it's anniversary time yeah yeah this is what's coming and then I, it, that's when i realized that the after effects of dealing with something like this and i don't really agree with putting labels on things so i'm not going to but um it it affects you physically and it's not just yeah. a mental thing after that yeah um you can see that physical man not the physiologic, the catecholamine dump on the third anniversary was not far off of the first, the, the original, you know, yeah. the incident itself. And what I felt for a few days after that, um, man, it took me two weeks to get my head decent after the third anniversary. Yeah. That's where we were, you know? Yeah. I should have started talking to somebody sooner. Yeah. Um, I remember I was just super thankful that you had reached out and were aware enough that... I was having a tough time and checking in. And then it was after that conversation, I was like, it is going to be okay. And he, people are paying attention and people are like, no, like there's still a little bit of struggle there. And it's not just me. And it's not, not just, just you, yeah. you know, um, I remember like nasal breathing. Like I would get like a little bit of anxiousness in my chest and like I could do all kinds of stuff, but like long, nasal breathing and doing like box style breathing was one of the things that helped like kick it. Hmm. Um, and obviously going back to the struggle of like that constant movement and getting in the gym, yeah, doing the hard work. And then maybe if it's, there's the physical side and then the not physical, more intellectual side of just talking about it and not letting it sit. Yeah. One of, um, super powerful quote i think it was tim ferris and it might have been jaco talking about it again was um men are really good at bearing it down right like we we don't talk about it we push it down and the quote is like i'm paraphrasing but all these things that we push down we think we're hiding but little did we know that it was a seed and it grew and is that the shade that we want to live under is these things that we're not talking and getting out, are those going to be the th things that are going to manifest themselves into something that's going to be disastrous longer on or longer down the road? Yeah, that was, that was me. We were in the year four before I got low enough to 
make that phone call. You know, I called Brian. I said, hey, buddy, I, like, I need to talk to somebody. He gave me the name mm-hmm. of somebody. And uh, that was this year, bud. We're sitting here today. Like, that yeah. wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, April, May, June, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, same. I think the three of us in the room are trying to do things to uh, have that self-improvement and talk to somebody. And you think. Know? You know, it's interesting to sometimes look back and see, like, you know, I try to eat pretty, pretty clean Mm -hmm. and I try to do a fair amount of exercise and, uh, um, we worked out hard before Woodscape. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm still here, like at the level of, you know, managing this that I am like, where would I be if I wasn't eating clean? If I would have decided to start taking a drink or if I would have quit exercising thinking, the likelihood of me ever having to do something like that again at work is a very small percent, but like, um, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take today off. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that. Like, where would we be today or where would I be today <clears throat> if we weren't doing some of those basic discipline things to mm-hmm. just maintain? Yeah. Um, and you're not doing it to the detriment where you're burning yourself out or not healing. Yeah, no, just but constant little bits of improvement. You know, maybe you change the scale or intensity, but you're doing things to consistently move because if you don't move, yeah, we Roll know up. that end, and it's not a healthy one. Yeah, Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Yeah, so you got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, I um, that came to a head for me. I'm sorry. No, no, please. Um, I think after you had left seven. Um, you were filling in at safety car, I mm-hmm. think one day when I was working at nine and man, I was, a, I was a wreck. Mm. Um, and I think we kind of, we talked about it a little bit, maybe at that picnic table they had going on the engine bay there. Um, I, I really thought that people lost sleep over things like this at night. <laughs> from like the way they um, maybe they regretted their actions or maybe they wish they'd done something or whatever. Um, Like we said earlier, I came to terms pretty quickly with like the way things played out. Um, But uh, it still weighed on me just huge Um, to the point where like, uh, I said something to you that day that it didn't, I don't think it, uh, I don't think it hit you the way I intended it to, but I said something like, you've kept me alive more times than you know. And you, you thought that we were talking about that night. Um, I didn't really have a ton of regrets after that, the way we did that, but I still thought about ending things in the years after, uh, what's Kate? And that uncontrollable kind of thing. Um, and every time the, like those thoughts would creep into my mind, I would think about like how unfair it would be for me to be going through that and for me to show up and work with you every day and for you to not have any idea of where I'm at and how that would be absolutely unfair like, and the, the pain that that would cause you to... Uh, if I were to do that, you know, 
Um, I got to the point where I knew the gun. <laughs> where it would be. I would write letters to and what they'd say. Um, and I almost got to feel like there was a couple people that I just knew that even though that like my mind was going there, I just knew that I could not let them down like that. Not to mention I felt like if people, if I would have done that, people would be like, holy shit, like if Andy Hoffman did that, like what's going to do to me? Um, but, uh, it scared me the day before we sat down at nine that day where uh, it almost felt like a destiny thing or like it was inevitable. Um, and I got scared. And that's when I knew I had to reach out and like get that person. But man, buddy, there were times when I just didn't want to let you down. It definitely goes both ways. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's it? Jesus. No. <laughs> um, I, uh, We're having real talk now. Yeah, yeah, we went there. Um, but I remember that day. And I remember talking to Jess and being, being scared. Like one of the strongest guys I know is really struggling, you know. Yeah. You're one of the strongest, like... Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, man, I know. And to see you struggle, um, it scared me. And I think there was almost a strong, a little bit of a drama response. Like I, I think I, I even blocks part of that out. And I just remember, um, you know, that core group of us. If anything happened to any one of us, like it absolutely would kill me. Yeah, like that would that would Who destroy. Who am I me. that I let you get there? Yeah, and um, and there's so many times that I can look back on and being like. It's so easy to get in the grind and routine of things of doing the work around the house and, you know, got to get the kids here and there and you got to, oh, I got to empty the dishwasher and I got this errand to run. And so often I look back on some of those days and like, none of this shit matters. Oh gosh. There's a Micah Fink episode or like at hour two, he just talks about like, none of this dumb shit matters. Like... Call that person that you care about. Go hike that mountain. Go eat the good food. Like, yeah. check in on your buddy and make sure they're doing okay. That load of laundry can sit there. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, those errands you got to run. And there's so often that I've regretted, like, I get in the routine and my to-do list and I got to get all these things done and I have to accomplish this or that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, checking in on you and checking in on you. That's... And connecting and saying, hey, let's go out for coffee. Yeah. Let's go grab dinner. Let's get lunch. Let's, you know, let's go spend a weekend in West Virginia and go and go climb a mountain. Man, I love that. Um, those are the things that keep us alive. Putting back in that cup. And give us a cup to, to pour from. Yeah. And, and uh, it felt selfish to let me try to make myself a priority now and then to try to put something in that cup. Yeah. But man, if you want to be good for your significant others and your kids and your friends, 
if you got to put, you know, you got to do something for you a little bit here and there to yeah. to feed your soul so you can give everybody a better version or the best version of what you got. Yeah. You got to get a little out of it somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, but. It took, a, it took me a long time to figure that out. It's Yeah. It felt selfish. and It does. It, uh, it's not. Yeah, it's not. Um, yeah. Get something on the calendar. A little adventure. A little nature. Yeah. And uh, have something to look forward to. I remember the reason I wasn't, I was at nine, um, was because I put my name in the hat for captain. Um, and I did put a lot of eggs in one basket and I knew that. Yeah. Um, and I won't even get into that side of it. I think I remember driving to my interview and I remember texting, we have our little text thread with me, you, Drini and Brian. And I'm like, Hey, I'm man, guys, I'm really feeling off about this thing. Like, um, because I was so short for so long, like it's not what I wanted, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to put some eggs in one basket. I'm going to see what I can make happen. And, um, the closer I got to headquarters for my interview, the, the pressure in my chest. Yeah. And I remember I got to headquarters and Brian called me. He's like, are you okay? And I, I couldn't talk. Because I was crying so hard in the parking lot headquarters. It's like I'm about to interview for a rank that I could lose I could lose you guys. I'm I'm I chances are good I'm gonna I'm gonna lose every bit of connection and trust I have and I'm gonna look back in whatever front seat I'm riding in and I'm not gonna see the guys that I trust. Um and I know that's part of this job. But I'm like almost making a conscious effort to chuck the deuces and and lose the best thing that I've ever had happen to me. And I remember he talked me through it and he brought me down. And I know we talked about like leadership and connection and like, you know, chance opportunities and things that are going to happen that you'll never know about. And, um, you know, he's, I won't tell him to his face, but, you know, he's, <laughs> I love him to death and he's, you know, he's very wise. And it brought me down, but I remember it completely rocked me. And knowing that I'm going through motions to to what felt like lose lose everyone at seven. Lose that. Yeah. Lose that. Um you know, sometimes I still second guess myself, but it but you're right, that you know, maybe one of those chance moments was us coming back together at nine. Yeah. And have you say that. And like uh like you're going through now. Sometimes you just kind of, kind of trust the universe is working what it's working for you. You know, it's got mm-hmm. something in mind. Yeah. Something bigger that you can't even imagine. You yeah. don't know. You know, we're, well, that was 2018. Yeah. So I guess we're coming into our fifth year. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird. I think we're all trying to do things to self-improve with like, whether it be therapy, the work, you know, the workouts. Um, I know it's made me a, a deeper, fuller person and it's, it's done amazing things for me and not just work. Like my wife and I really struggled and not necessarily because of work stuff. Like we had our own things going on and it, um, it made us 
so much stronger and has given us skills to, um, to work through these things, which I've been able to bring into work and work through things and be able to connect to people differently. Um, but it is weird. I think that enough time has passed where there are some people that are absolutely still holding up their end of the bargain. And I feel like there are some people that, um, have forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still am active with the fireground survival programs in the academy. I know there's some at least cursory level awareness they have of the incident and then just fireground survival skills for the academy. Um, and I know there are plenty of people out there still holding up their end of the bargain and doing things every day to improve and get that 1%. And there are some that, um, you know, it is easy just to, you know, we work at 24 hour shifts. So sometimes it is easy to kick the feet up and not work out and go hide in your bunk and, you know, do those things. But, um, you know, the captain that was with us there at night, he was what a year out from retirement. 30 over 30 years on yeah. and he was in there with us yeah. these things can happen on the last day of our careers yeah you just never know you just never know yeah. and I'd I still go to work thinking that I may not have ran the worst call yet yeah you know yeah you gotta keep getting after it yeah one of my guys um just the other day he said um just a phenomenal human being he was like when I get assigned my position I want to know that I'm the best person and they chose me for that spot. And if that's layout, there is, you will not find anybody else in the County right now that is going to lay out better than me. You're not going to find anybody else that's driving that ambulance is going to be the two out better than me. And that is my spot and I'm going to own it and I'm going to do everything in my power to be the best person I can be for that job for that 24 hour period. And I think if everybody just took a, like just a little, little shred of that and you know, focused on their job for that day. And like, what, what's that one little bit? It doesn't have to be anything grand. It doesn't have to be some four hour hands-on training. Even if it's just some little bit where you can say, I did something today. I improved myself. I experienced a little bit of uh, healthy struggle. That little drip every single day for 30 years, you're going to look back on and realize I did okay. Yeah. yeah. And I was ready. And it's just, uh, it's not just a work thing, but it's just a lifestyle, <clears throat> a lifestyle where be healthy, you know, exercise and, you know, do some little things here and there. And it's good for you at home and it's good for you at work. Yeah. You know, it's not here or there or separating whatever. It's a lot of little things you can do that make it easier for you and good over the long run. You hit on this earlier. Um, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. No, oh, um, I think self-care is gets thrown out a little too easy. And I've actually had people say that. And some people have joked, but some people have said this seriously. Like, no, I've got my like cup of sugar and I'm going to go watch Netflix. And this is self-care because I need to decompress. That's not self-care. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> you, yes, do the things to fill your cup. But that means... Go connect with a friend. Go have lunch with somebody that you care about and have meaningful conversation. Go on that trip. Go hike that mountain. Go travel somewhere to broaden your horizons and expectations and meet new people. You know, do the workout. Even if you're having an off day and don't feel good, get some rest and then just go for a light run. 
throw in a backpack, go rock, go walk your dog. Like you get some mobility, get some mobility in the living room. Do floor. yoga. Yeah. Listen to a meditation. Um, yeah. Eat sit in the silence. Good food. You know, turn the phone off a little bit. Right. Let some silence come in and you know zen out for a little bit. That's yeah. That's that is growth. Yeah. That is the thing that will fill your cup. That is going to make you a deeper, fuller person. Um, so I think we just need to be mindful of what we're doing on our, not just our off days, but yes, obviously what we're doing on the floor. Um, and just not be neglectful to relationships because when we don't have this job anymore, um, I think that's really going to matter. And just having that even now and in like retirement or when you hang the hat up, just having, knowing what that mission is and just doing something every day to, to improve it. You know, I think, you know, we were talking to Dave, I was just like, you left it better than you found it, man. That's, and if you can say that you're doing good, you're doing okay. Yeah.